Welcome to the WebWell podcast brought to you by Cascade Web Development. I'm one of your hosts, Simon, along with Ben, and we can't wait to dive into all things internet, tech, web development, and web design. We'll also be discussing how we balance work and life and exploring the fascinating world of internet innovation. So whether you're a tech enthusiast or just looking for some entertainment, join us on this exciting journey as we explore the ever-changing landscape of the web. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to the WebWell podcast. This is what I was about to say just before I hit record. Uh, This is episode 10. So we're officially in the two digits. There's one and a zero now. So a huge, huge promotion props to uh, Ben uh, for helping support this and uh, allowing me to kind of make up topics and stuff as we go. Um, But I appreciate it. So Stefan uh, is our guest today. Brought back, of course. I don't even know. Can we call Stefan a guest? Like he's part of the company. Yeah. Yeah, Being a guest. It's cool. Yeah. We'll call him a guest. Silky smooth Stefan in the house today. It's fantastic. Perfect. Well, today's topic is one that uh, basically listeners, we're, we're really kind of just opening up to you guys to listen in because this is a conversation that we internally have, or more specifically, have been having over the last few months uh, as we define both Cascade, our, our trajectory, really looking at Stefan when we talk about roadmaps of our, um, of our products, if you will. As we look to Stefan to really kind of guide the roadmap for Evergreen and defining out the little features and and products that are part of what we offer for our clients. So today's topic officially, real easily, is just products, right? Just before hitting record, I was was quizzing Ben uh, about a couple uh, kind of just historical facts when it comes to Cascade as, as a service company. Ben, maybe you can give us a, a quick uh, recap on on what you were talking about with that as we talk about Evergreen being kind of our, our if you will, let's see, home court advantage. It is our CMS. That is our product. That's our baby over the last 20 plus years now and shifted into like that service uh, kind of model. Maybe you can speak to that for a second. Yeah, you bet. So if we go back before Cascade Web Development in the days of Mountain Hood Software, which was the first web design company that uh, that I was a uh, partner in from 98 to 2001, uh, in that case, we would just find the, the software provider of the day. So Dreamweaver, Microsoft Front Page, Cold Fusion, we'd chase these different technologies, do our best to, to push them as far as we could, these standardized tool sets, push those tool sets to do what we wanted on behalf of our clients. But then you're constantly sort of chasing the bright, shining light. What's the new trending software? Uh, how much is the license? Um, you know, How far can we go with that? What will that allow us to do that this previous software won't allow us to do? And it's a pretty uncomfortable spot for both the service provider uh, as well as for a client because you know you jump on something, you make a big investment, and then you find out, wow, the, the key person at that agency that was leading this left perhaps now there's a vacuum of skill and then if you're finding someone new and they're trending towards the next thing is there someone that can manage that for you uh that's that's a risk that all these agencies face and so when stefan and i were introduced by our friend jack stefan had been working on this idea of a 
web-based administrative environment for a content management system, which was a huge departure for me from the days of, of single HTML pages that you would modify one page at a time, and then you would upload them via FTP, file transfer protocol. Uh, and now all of a sudden, so there are version issues. If, if, I, if I uploaded something that overwrote work, um, I couldn't really get that back. I had to download the file first, make the update, upload it. If someone else updated something and they didn't download the latest file, they could overwrite the work. So it was, it was, it was just a different time. And so when Stefan came along and showed me a, a Mount St. Helens Institute website he was working on, boy, my mind was blown. And I was thinking now there's finally something that I'm excited to go out and sell uh, that I can be very enthusiastic about because when I bring this back, uh, Stefan will be able to not only um, develop this really cool platform, but also in those days, design on top of it. So he used to wear your your creative director hat as well. <laughs> and so now here we are, fast forward 20 plus years, and we have this, this growing foundation of software, our, our product, that is what allows us to very efficiently develop the service to our clients, which is these these you know very unique websites that can scale and evolve in a variety of different directions. And, and so that's really nice for our clients, especially considering the, the insane loyalty of our staff and that the, the person that worked on the Advanced American Construction website when we first started building that over 20 years ago, uh, he's still here. Wow, that's amazing. And, and understands all that, that, that can be done, that can't be done. Of course, with that website, it's evolved and we've, we've rebuilt it on, on new versions of the software. But, but that person's still there with that connection to the software that knows exactly what it can do and can't do. And from there, we can make really efficient decisions for them. So here we are today. We continue to have these conversations about how do we come up with a new idea? Is it client-driven? Is it industry-driven? Is it just some idea we've got that we're excited to, you know, to innovate on? Um, you know, and, and then how do we roll that out? You know, it's, of course, in the sales capacity, I'm like, I want to share it. I want to talk about it. And Stefan, you know, has a little bit of, there's some nice healthy tension there of like, we're not ready. Let's, let's get this further along. Um, and, and now that we've got you, Simon, on board and, and eager to help socialize and, and share this information, how and how and where we do that is key. So all, all the functions in the business are excited about how that's moving forward. And, uh, but we're not, you know, putting, we're not putting uh, news out there that we can't we can't move on fairly efficiently and quickly if clients are showing a lot of interest. So I'll pause there, but uh, yeah, just kind of fun to unpack uh, where it started and and you know some of the the fun conversations we have in house in terms of, of where we want to steer it in the future. Yeah, I think yeah, that brings. Yeah, and up I think a bunch it's of funny because I can I can picture uh, you know more technical people watching this or listening to it and and thinking why in the world would you do your own CMS? And I think it's really important to keep. The timeline in mind there that Ben's illustrating. You know, this is back in 2001, and if if there was a WordPress, uh, it was in its infancy. I think at that point, there there just weren't solutions like that out there. There, a, a database driven, you know, content management system was just something uh, that wasn't exactly practiced. And so it's it's not like we were reinventing a wheel. We were inventing our own wheel to go along with. And I think at some point there was definitely a fork in the road where we could think about open sourcing it and, and going down the road that um, a lot of other systems have gone down, but we decided not to. And, and there's, there's a debate to be had there, but I think in, in a sense of just kind of rolling our own on that kind of timeline, it's given us tremendous freedoms among many other benefits 
And, and I also think it's, it's probably helped with some of the fairly unreal uh, employee retention we've had. You know, the idea that we're all sitting here contributing to something like this. And, and if we, you know, if, if one of our guys has an idea for a feature and it makes sense, we do it. There's, there's no board to go through. There's no, you know, mm. standards, organizations we have to push it through. We just do it. Uh, if a client wants something that we've never done before and, and never thought about and it's a good idea, we do it. And so I think those those freedoms have uh, have been really cool to have. Yeah, I think I think fast forward too, without skipping ahead, some of the questions of like, okay, Ben was talking about how do we sell this? Is it too early, right? If we were to rewind that, Stefan, can you think, so we had Evergreen, that's the CMS. Can you think of other features that we could call products that have come up along the way? Could you talk about some of those? And I know just a heads up, we're going to talk about some that we're working on currently, but can you name some of the ones that we've had in the past that, that were triggered by clients were triggered by need and we were able to actually pursue and execute on? Yeah, I can think of two right off you know, white pass with kind of our, our own driven internal system, uh, because of the time there, there weren't really a lot of great systems out there that were web-based and flexible enough to, to really create your own kind of intranet on. And so we started putting together a system that helped us track projects. And, and it was a very iterative process that started out fairly simple and got more and more complex as our needs grew. And as we had time to work on it, and, and we did, uh, we did sell that, I think to a couple of clients, but the tool set outside of that grew, uh, mature enough and fast enough to where we eventually moved on to, to use other products for that, for those purposes. Uh, the other one I can think of would, would probably be brand live, which is a whole nother thing. And that, that not only grew into its own product offering, but its own company. Hmm. Awesome. And yeah, those, I can, I can layer on top of it. I can layer on top of that a little bit with the, with white pass. That was something where we needed project management software. That was the the core. We, you know, we were trying to track things with email, uh, with spreadsheets. It just wasn't efficient. And we were looking at alternatives like Basecamp. And I think we drew a lot of inspiration from from how they approached software, but then put the the stuff and spin on it. And and that's one thing that I've learned early is, you know, Stefan brings a skill set to the table that, that I can, I can trust and, and, uh, hand a lot of responsibility over, provide a tremendous amount of autonomy to drive those things forward. And, and so the, the core difference between white pass and evergreen in my mind was on evergreen, you would, you would consume content on the front end. Maybe you could submit things in a form and then you go to the back end to administer changes with white pass. You had the back end for administrative changes, but for the most part, you are interacting so not only were we doing what we're what is very ubiquitous today, but you know managing things, submitting it all in real time, multiple people, but then also uh, we were able to push that in directions where it was software for a catering company to be able to make available all of the the events that that they needed people to sign up for that were their staff, and the staffers could come in and request it. The catering manager could come in and say, yes, you're, you're booked on this date. There was messaging. So having that ability to interact on the front end of a website and start to automate business practices and processes basically was a huge game changer. And so 
as Stefan said, there were a number of, of things that led to us no longer using that today for project management, but so many examples of websites where you continue to be able to interact on that front end user experience, sometimes in a, in a, a password protected environment, sometimes not, and, uh, and kind of blew the doors open. And then with Brand Live, I think the key there was for years we had said, hey, we're building really cool tools for our clients to innovate, to disrupt, to do things that aren't available. What if we came up with our own idea? So I kept challenging the team, be innovative, be thoughtful. Where can we make investments? And uh, and one of the members of our team uh, took me up on that. And this whole notion of adding video to the, the e-commerce environment um, is what sort of hatched Brand Live. And then it, it was pursued pretty aggressively until the point where uh, we we you know incubated it and then spun that out of cascade on our software largely and that company continues to to exist today uh, it's it's you know followed a, a pretty predictable path of ups and downs in the the funded startup world with with the the way the economy has evolved um, but you know there aren't that many companies that you know can uh, can hatch that and and then continue on I mean uh, re kind of recreating our identity after we spun out brand live that took so much of our our energy and our our identity was was not a small challenge but I'm I'm really proud of this team for sticking together and and continuing to find our way and I feel like now we you know, that's a, a really exciting part of our past, but it, it's by no means defines our, um, our identity at all. You keep, you, you said that term before Ben of hatching it out and then talking about the after it's almost like a postpartum, uh, identity issue, right? Like where you've gotten the product out and it's out now, what, like, do we do another project? Do we figure out another thing? Cause we let this one go. We need to watch it grow up, you know? So that's interesting. Stefan, maybe you can talk about some of the, the you mentioned White Pass uh, and Brand Live. Maybe you can talk about some of the, the process that we take when it comes to bringing a product to life, you know, from the, from the start. Client, whether it's client or internal uh, desire to create that. Maybe on your side for the development side, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think I think overall... There's generally some kind of uh, external stimulus that, that drives a lot of it. We, we pretty rarely go, let's just do this. It's generally an idea. And, and when I say external, that's a stretch. I, I think a lot of times it is client driven, but in the case of, of White Pass or, or Brand Live, as a matter of fact, that was, that was internally driven. And, but there were things that we need. You know, somebody's got a need and, and we do it. And it's, it's, a different process, I think, when we do an internal project like those two, you know, we're kind of a, a closed loop and we can iterate a little bit faster and, and the decision making is a little bit easier. Um, and then moving on to the more common scenario of having that driving force really be a client. Um, and then beyond that, it's it's their users or, or their clients. It gets a little bit more complicated, but I think it's a fairly standard product development life cycle. You know, it's, there's an idea coming from somewhere. We talk about it, kind of sketch it out, ideate and prototype and start building it at some point and testing it. And, and I think we've always kind of instinctually um, followed a model where we don't try to get it a hundred percent perfect. We, we don't try to include every possible feature that everybody can think of. It's, it's really this fundamental 
idea now of of working on the most important part of it. You know, here, here's what this really needs to do. Here's here's what it's being used for, and we focus on that um, and and get it working, and then start making it look pretty. And eventually, it turns into kind of this this circular uh, uh, cycle where you're constantly hopefully improving it and making it better. And, and, you know, roadmaps are, are drawn and, and lists are made of, of would be nice features, have to have it features, you know, things that are critical and, and those things are prioritized and added. And, and when it gets to that, it starts to become, it starts to become a little bit more similar to internal things. I think once we're at that point where we're iterating through ideas that we've already developed and even published or gone live with, with a client. By that point, I think we generally have enough client trust to where it starts to look more like an internal project, but that's, it's, it's, it's just kind of an alchemy that happens where there's an idea that's coming from somewhere and it turns into a thing and, and hopefully the thing works and then it gets better. Has there along the way, has there been, um, a thing that basically didn't work out. Like, can you think of a, a feature or product that we've made uh, where we tried to apply it, it didn't work, or even maybe better put, it's not that it didn't work out, it's that it turned into something else, right? We talk about like, I'm trying to think of like products that started out one thing ended up turning into another thing. Uh, insulin, right? Wasn't insulin or is it it was like it was something that was intended for something and discovered it actually worked better for something else. Could you apply that kind of same logic or at least mindset to software? And and was there one that we've done that that turned into something else? Well, I think on the on the first version of the question, where something just ended up it didn't end up working out. I think again, white pass. You know that that's something that that uh, we worked on it for a while. We used it for a while. It was good. It worked. But as I said before, the the external tools that were available out there caught up with it and surpassed it um, in a way to where it didn't make a ton of sense for us to keep churning on it um, when we could just use something else. And so we made that decision to, to kind of put that aside and use something else. On the second version of your question, I think EG itself is largely that. Um, I, I, I know the first couple of sites we did it for, there was such a, such a simple use case. You know, we had clients that didn't want to be trained on using FTP. Uh, they didn't have the, the appetite for the, the kind of learning curves that were necessary. And so that's, that's why EG started, but it was this very simple use case. And, and that turned into things like white pass, which, which, you know, when we first started EG development, I would have never imagined that it, it was capable of, of those type of things. And and turn that to today. Today, I think the the needs that that clients come to us with are sometimes not all that predictable. You know, I think it turns into a brand new thing and, and morphs all the time. I, some of the features that, that we'll talk about, you know, multi-site. That's something we're working on now. Uh, it's where I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think it's something we could have foreseen for a while. You know, the the need mm -hmm. to to manage uh, multiple sites within within kind of one interface like that. And so I would say that itself is something that uh, at least I didn't I didn't fully anticipate. So before we dive into multi-site. Yeah, if I were to, if I were to, oh, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Simon. If, and that, I love thinking about that, right? And when I go back and I think about our first, I believe, six months together 
and the, the serious lack of revenue we were able to fetch and the value we were able to, to convey and deliver our clients and how hard it was <clears throat> in the infant stage to show up with, you know, 22, 25 year old, like uh, making promises and you want how much? And, and uh, it, it was really challenging. And I, I keep telling that story recently where, boy, after 20 plus years, the things we're able to build on top of the 20 years of commitment to, to this platform is really remarkable in my mind. I'm certainly very excited about it. And it's, it's, you know, I was talking to a lot of my friends in the, in the working world, a lot of them aren't, aren't finding a, a ton of inspiration perhaps in their, their late forties and beyond. And I just feel like, oh my gosh, we're each day, each month we're being faced with a new challenge and, and able to say, yeah, why don't you give me just a little bit of time and I'll see if I can figure that out and then come back and deliver. Uh, obviously, our our developers are, are Jedi's in their craft, but a lot of that is because we've we have stayed true and 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 know this system so well. And and I think maybe Stefan can go into this a little bit later. But there's work that happens sort of on the the server level for that website, oftentimes initially, and then then we try and bring that into the core of Evergreen that is available for for more of our clients. And so it's this, you know, so much of the world we live in now is is planned obsolescence. And I feel like with with Evergreen, it continues to innovate and, and add more value over time. And it's it's really exciting. Um, so yeah, it is is fun to, to reflect on where we started, how humble those beginnings are, and and what it's gotten us to today um, is is pretty remarkable. Just that story of perseverance and, and commitment to to the cause and and you know keeping the team focused on that challenge. Yeah. And I would say another, another more specific example of that would be, I don't remember how long ago Ben and I started talking about headless CMSs and, and Evergreen's potential to fill that, that, that hole. You know, we started talking about it and, and I started thinking about it and we'd already kind of done it. And that's something I, I didn't expect at all. Looking back at some of the past projects, it effectively had acted as a headless CMS as a CMS for at least one project, um, where there was an app out there taking data out of Evergreen, and so that's I think that's a great example of of something that we certainly didn't didn't intend it to do, didn't know it could do, uh, but our our developers had a project uh, with that need and it filled it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so before we go down the rabbit hole of what multi-site is or any other features that we we agreed to talk about, at, at what point, Stefan, are you comfortable talking about products uh, that we're working on? Um, you know, obviously, if we have a relationship with our clients and we're giving them heads up or, or cueing them on, you know, things that we're doing behind the scenes, that's maybe a little different. But at what point do you give me the marketer permission to start, you know, really promoting uh, a product in its journey. And I love how this is being presented as part of the podcast and, and just a question for the podcast, but for anybody listening or watching, this is actually Simon asking me this. He's, he's asking the question <laughs> to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking notes. I come the- from a weird place <laughs> mentally where, yeah, I come from this place mentally where I've kind of got this fantasy scenario of, of, the idea that really good companies are publishing features that they've had for five years and, and they've got features already on the books that they're, they're pretty much finished with that you're not going to hear about for another five years. They're generations ahead of where you're seeing, you know, almost this kind of conspiracy theory mindset. And, and that's kind of my fantasy. And so for me in my head, 
there's this this tension where I realize we have to talk about things and we have to market things, but my default is to not want to do that until something is fully tested and and just as secured as we can get it and and just as perfect as possible. But like I said before, that's not how we do things. I think we, when it comes to those external stimuli from clients, we can't do that. The client wants something; they they want it pretty much now, and and we we work through that normal cycle until we've got the minimum viable product and, and we release it and iterate and we go through that normal life cycle on the rare occasion that they are things that, that are more internally driven. And a lot of those at this point, I think are just things that uh, maybe they haven't necessarily been asked for, but we know they're going to be. And so we're starting to work on it now. I think it probably gets there anyway to where, you know, we start talking about a little bit, we're going to get asked for them and, and that's, uh, those things are going to be kind of dictated for us a little bit. Long way, long way of saying my ideal when we're, when we're completely done with something, but, but realistically, I think when we've got that, that MVP, at least working in a sustainable way that we can demonstrate really, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't love the idea of talking about things before we've even been able to approach, you know, seeing it and touching it and using it. That's funny because, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was taking those notes uh, just now, I kept thinking, okay, you mentioned multi-site. Can you go ahead and define it then? Tell, tell us all what it is, what it could be. And, and obviously in a dream world, you would have already had all these definitions, but in reality, there is some, some gray matter still out there of like some, some possibilities of what it could be used for. We haven't thought of yet. So admittedly, listeners, this isn't maybe a fully baked thing, but it is something we're doing and something that is active with some projects currently. We can say that. Maybe, Stefan, you can talk about defining what multi-site is. What, what is it to the listeners? Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, again, I, I picture the technical listeners out there looking at us uh, in a way they would look at Apple for for finally giving people copy and paste on the you know second or third version of their operating system for their phone, um, because it's not a thing that's not out there. You know, sites do have have uh, the ability to administer content from you know multiple sites in, in one interface, but traditionally we have not. We haven't had that need. Um, but as is often the case, it seems like multiple clients kind of on their own start coming to us wanting, having a similar need. And so multi-site is really just that. It, it's the ability to administer content or data for multiple sites in one interface. And the complexity or simplicity of that is pretty variable. And that's that's really something we challenge ourselves with uh, on EG all the time is finding that balance. How can we serve the most common use case while still making the edge case uh, attainable that, that's inevitably going to come at us and, and, you know, making it to where we're not cutting ourselves off from that. And so currently uh, it's, we're, we're down to the level where I think we can, we can present, you know, 
variant uh, versions of content down to the block level, depending on what site you're looking at. But from what I've seen so far, it's it's flexible beyond that. I think in its simplest form, you're presenting you know a, a different layout or look or header or logo depending on what site is being visited. But you're you're editing I don't know the about page for multiple sites in one place, and then you take that down to a more complex level where you're adding a block to the about page that's going to be viewed on site A, but not necessarily come up on site B. Um, or maybe it's viewed on both, but it looks slightly different or even functions slightly differently. Okay. So specific to multi-site and Ben, you may jump in on this one too, then as a marketer, the next thing, obviously we define it. The next thing would be that we talk about identifying the market. So Ben, maybe you can jump in on that and then add any additional value to that. Yeah, I think that's a great example. You know, one thing that that we realized uh, in the on the in the brand live e- example was, you know, where we started, our vision for what it was going to be, and then and then the path that led to where it ended up, very nonlinear. And a lot of that goes down to, hey, I've got a great idea, I'm excited about. Can I get anyone else excited about it? Hey, here's a process I think could work, but let me go talk to people that actually have to execute on that. And so, you know, when it comes to multi-site, there are a couple of examples that really jump out at me. One of those is, hey, you have an administrative team responsible for managing multiple sites that may or may not be connected from a you know public perspective. So if you've got a holding company that owns multiple brands that may or may not be similar or even in, even in like most of them are in like related industry, but maybe they're not that closely related. But hey, from an administrative environment or perspective, we've got a team that's managing both sites and we want to make it easy on them. We want to be familiar. We want to cut down on hosting costs. We want to, you know, minimize certain just infrastructure level challenges that exist. Or if you've got if you've got like, let's say, member areas or secure dealer areas uh, and you want to allow them sort of a, a, a broad stroke of, of access as well. So again, it's kind of an internal need. It's not a public facing need where you're serving that client to say, hey, log into this one place to manage all those different things. And then and then perhaps the the but the, the public facing websites may look different. They may have different features and options, different, you know, as as Stefan was saying, whether it's a block or from a product mix perspective, comparison capabilities, configurators, all of that could be different. And then on the other hand, let's say that you've got a, a distributor that's selling very similar products, and then all of a sudden they want to go and, and offer an additional layer of service to their, their customers, the, these brands, and say, not only can we create this distributor level website that has all of our products, but all these products are in the same place. What if we were just to like fork those off and make these brand specific websites? Again, environment uh, in, administratively, the 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 folks on the back end managing that content, they've got one source of truth, again, very familiar administrative environment, uh, very easy. And then you're, you're, you're limiting the amount of, of ongoing costs and fees associated with hosting and, and redundancy and those kinds of things. So those are just a couple of examples of how, how it can be used dramatically differently. But a lot of that does come down to making it easy on the, on the client and the administration team and then creating really predictable, rich experiences for the public that's going to be consuming this and or the other members. Uh, and that can take on a lot of different shapes and sizes. So this is our constant challenge as a, as a you know, highly customizable software producer is we're not creating standardized 
tools that we're asking clients to take their whatever size peg and put into our whatever size hole. But instead, we're saying, no, we can really customize this to what you're looking for with these general parameters around multi-site capabilities. And I think for a lot of our clients that are out there saying, hey, you know, Shopify does this, but I needed to do this. Or, you know, WordPress does this, but I needed to do this. That we're able to 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 deploy those those solutions, but instead of of kind of cobbling together a bunch of disparate um, bits of excuse me bits of code that weren't intended to work a certain way and, and get it to kind of work, uh, we're saying no. Let's do that in a more purpose built way. And you know, if, if we can earn that trust, I think all, over time we've proven we can deliver these really profound, scalable rock solid solutions that as we deploy it and then we get all that valuable feedback from the client from their users their members we can build upon that versus saying wow it was pretty miraculous we got this thing to launch and work at all now you want to add more to it well we're not really in a position to do that because the duct tape and bailing wire approach we used isn't isn't conducive to that so does it scale well does it attract a bunch of funding and you know, millions of customers, maybe not, but are we able to, you know, look our clients in the eye and say, we can really help add a ton of value and move your organization forward. I think we're in a better position to do that with the way that we build websites. And and I know our team takes a lot of pride in that. Yeah, I see how multi-site will be extremely valuable, specifically with the clients that we're working with for it. But also I, I could see that being huge benefit to bigger organizations or other organizations out there that could come in from, like you said, the environments of Shopify or WordPress, which good grief. I can only imagine that conversation with any like WordPress rep, like how many plugins it would take to, <laughs> to like make that work, uh, would just be a nightmare personally, just saying that part. Stefan, I have a list on my screen of a couple other tools, but I want you to introduce them just so I'm speaking uh, accurately on it, but the next one on the, on the list, visual editor. Um, this is another tool that, that we heard from clients, uh, a need, right? You want to tell us uh, a little about it and, and where it's at, maybe in its life cycle, where we're at on uh, creating that. Yeah. So this is something where I, I don't know that we did hear from clients specifically that, Hey, here's something we want. What we heard was an experienced really was was the driving force was the need i think again when we started out the use cases were fairly simple and and we were able to build tools that were simple and, and easy to use to fill those use cases and those those use cases became more and more complex and we kept building these these tools that were fairly simple uh, and easy to use to do it but they've gotten complicated uh, and and really the driving force for me was using our own product for some of the more complex projects that, that we've had to date. And I am actually in there trying to to put content in or change content. And there's this process where you're going back to the administrative back end and, and using these tools that were built for a different use case to go through and find this content you're trying to edit. And you can do it, it's there, but the process really for me did not meet the mark. It, was, it, was, uh, it, it wasn't successful to me. And so we started talking and, and iterating very quickly on a different way to do that, which was 
it's funny. Paul likes pointing out that, you know, this is the way EG started, right? Um, because we forget that, you know, in, in the very, very beginning, in the first couple of iterations, you essentially uh, edited a site from the front end after logging in. And so the visual editor kind of goes back to that so that if you're on a screen with something that would have you, you know, five menus deep in the administrative interface, you can just click on it and edit it right there. And so to put that more succinctly, what we're looking at now is an interface in addition to the classic administrative interface where you're able to sign in and then start browsing the front end of the website. And when you come across something you want to edit it, you edit it. You, you click on, on a, an edit tool at the top of the screen, click on the element you want to edit and, and click edit and, and you're there. And, and that process, I think uh, between now and, and when uh, someone's actually using it may change and hopefully get even more simplified. But that is it in a nutshell. So that actually just adds that layer, like you said, of simplicity of, of admin, right? That, that may not have the experience and knowledge to be able to identify and localize that, that one element quicker. You said five, five menus deep or five clicks deep, which on some of our complex sites for you listeners is, is reality. I mean, that happens a lot where it's, it's a block or a module within a module that, that actually administers that content. So even for Stefan or myself who didn't build the thing coming in and trying to identify what, what module is controlling this, what, where is this image changed, uh, can be difficult. And, and I think the visual editor is really going to be helpful for a lot of admins, uh, as they're trying to update content. What's another example? Yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a, there's a lot of ways to, to accomplish what we're accomplishing where we could probably stay within, you know, the administrative interface. But again, I really like the idea of, of going back to the beginning when there was very, very little training necessary on sites. And, and even through some of the more complicated sites, training was pretty easy. And we're getting to a point now to where that's not necessarily true. And I think no matter what way we do it inside, inside of uh, an administrative interface, there's just going to be too too much of a learning curve for my comfort. Whereas if you're just, anybody can browse their own site. You know, if you can browse the front end of your site and see the information you're, you're looking to edit and you can edit it from there, that checks all those boxes for me uh, that you don't have to go through the back end and search for it. Yeah, other examples, I guess, uh, the, we've got the language module on deck. Um, and this is something where we've kind of approached it in a, in, in a couple of different ways. And I think realistically moving forward, we'll probably still be experimenting with that. I, I don't know that we found the perfect way to do it because I don't think a perfect way exists. I think that that's probably one of these things that's going to continue to be a bit different per client as per the needs, but mm -hmm. that's what it's all about. You know, again, none of this is one size fits all. This is focusing on the on on the need, the specific need. We've got some parameters that we found fit most of the patterns, but exactly how we execute that is is really um, designed and, and developed per client. And I think that uh, the language module will continue 
down that road to be a little bit more tailored per client for now. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Our last one that we had listed in there for features that we've, we kind of have behind the scenes uh, is a topic we've had actually, you were on that episode, but talking about AI, like incorporating AI into Evergreen somehow, maybe you can add to that. Yeah, and it's funny because as as I was going through the 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 pre show notes, that's not a secret that we have pre show notes, right? Is that We're taking good. some no. of the Hollywood magic off? Plan. We can edit it out if this, it is. No. <laughs> going through there, just looking looking at terminology, I was tempted to to change uh, to change it again because I, I I like Apple's approach where they're, they're introducing all these AI features AI features on their on their new versions of their operating systems, but they they don't say AI once. Right. They're, they're talking about you know machine learning and, and large language modules, and it's it's kind of clever and, and kind of a cool way to stay away from the uh, the trends and things that might change. But we've already we've already been there, so right now we'll just call it AI. And and again, what I'm calling it internally so far is is AI assisted editing. I think that might be something we mentioned on on that that episode where we're talking about AI. Is I think there's there's an initial approach to all this stuff because it can be done and it's so cool just to hit the button and, and have it generate all your content for you. Uh, but that's, that's not how I hope people use it. The real idea here is, is to have it help you write content. And, and we, uh, we do have some, some pretty exciting stuff in the works where the, the kind of MVP version of that is, is pretty much, uh, working right now we've, we've got a working prototype for that and it's just uh it's kind of in the in the i don't want to say final polishing stages but we're polishing that up to to make it look pretty and and, and work a little bit better and in the end i think we're going to be able to do some pretty exciting stuff i think you know in in the case of something as simple as a tool to help you write content for a blog you know, what, what we're looking at now is, is there's, there's, uh, something, there, there's a way you could have it generate topics for you, um, and then choose which topic you want to write about. And there's so many questions that come into this stuff where, what are the topics about? You know, how, how do we know what to prompt it, you know, on the back end to give us topics about, but I think there's, there's some, some pretty clever things we can do, you know, in, in terms of actually going out and looking at the site that it's editing and, and having it look at the title and having it look at, you know, certain pieces of content to get some context as to what might, you know, the, the author might want to write about, look at uh, past, past blog entries, you know. And so I think there's some, there's some things that we can do that uh, hopefully will feel pretty magic to the user. And uh we're doing that with a blog module to start with just as kind of a, a proof of concept. And then, you know, we'll be looking, I think at that point for, for some client input and, and, you know, what, what best serves our clients with, with this technique. Yeah. I think, uh, just to educate our, our listeners on, on some of what you're talking about, especially when it comes to content, I use chat GPT to help produce some content pretty often but the word assisted in there, I think is a key part because I would never and could never just copy and paste what chat GPT produces for me. It takes, I go through it and you have to reread it and you have to edit it again. So it's certainly an assist part 
that comes in there. And, and I'll share it probably in the notes here. I'll share it with you guys after the episode. There was a, a social media post on LinkedIn the other day. 100% was ChatGPT. And there's a bunch of words that I know that ChatGPT keeps trying to plug into my content. The word delve. We're going to delve into or dive into this journey. It loves the word journey. We're taking this internet journey. ChatGPT pulls these words and they're in there. Also for you listeners, if you're using ChatGPT to do social media posts, it really loves emojis. So it's there's an emoji after every phrase or sentence. Okay. Again, the screenshot I took and I'll share with you guys after is 100%. The guy just copy and pasted ChatGPT's post in there. But there is, it is an art to figuring out how to make it my voice or your voice, Stefan, to make it apply to our product, our business, the words we use. And that's not, that's an art. So it's that AI assist because it really is, it takes a lot more with those prompts to make it really us or unique and, and accurate too, right? So that's awesome. Yeah, well, and I think I, too it's it's worth kind of pump you know mentioning as Stefan I think alluded to is that there have been a lot of hype trains that we just never boarded over the years and an AI is is one of those examples where it's at a fever pitch and for a lot of folks it's new uh, for folks in the industry a lot of folks in the industry and and that have been chipping away at the stuff it's not new but it's just really accessible. And, and it's, you know, we have access to it, but that's been our challenge always is we're not looking to just, you know, grab headlines and get the, the quick, easy, you know, win, uh, or sale, but it's like, yeah, how do we, how do we meaningfully integrate this and have that small win that then we can parlay into more meaningful updates as compared to just waving our hand in the air and saying, AI, AI, and, and trying to, you know, hook the people that are, you know, flowing by at the time. So. Yeah, I think we've we've arguably left some money on the table over the years, but I, I like the the much more value-based approach to a lot of this new technology in terms of how we deploy it versus a, a bunch of, of, of things that, you know, you know, allow you function but don't allow you necessarily a lot of value. Uh, so that's that's something we struggle with, but I'm excited to see us deploying and integrating AI in ways that you know we can learn from cleanly, and then hopefully evolve how that that benefits our clients over time to benefit from some of those efficiencies. But really funny how you talk about how it's got some some big terms it likes to use, right? Business jargon, agency jargon, everything's got jargon, and now it sounds like we've got some Chat GPT jargon that we've all got to you know work hard to to not necessarily let you know, load up our content, but also kind of identify, you know, whether or not we've been using some of these tools. Yeah. And, and that's a good answer, I think, to, to some who may question, why is it taking you so long? Because we did have conversations, you know, when this stuff was was really hitting the press and, and, and on all the major news networks going, hey, nobody's actually using this yet in a public way. Nobody's at the time, it's not really worked into in any kind of blog input tools or anything like that. And we could work it in really quick and we could probably get some some good local press at the very least, you know, but A, we didn't really need to. And and B, I think one of the benefits of, of doing business for so long is that we've got some wisdom to understand when we shouldn't do things we can do. And I think this was something that was that was pretty deliberate on our part to 
let some of the things mature a little bit, see where some of the pain points are, learn to use the tools out there. I think, again, I think some people could ask, why, why is it taking so long? Why haven't you done this already? The thing Simon is, ta- is talking about, and I would add, in summary, that it always puts on the end, you've got all these things that it <laughs> yes. does that you don't want it to do. <laughs> right. And, and a lot of the solutions that I still see out there that, that haven't really been, been changed or they haven't, uh, they haven't modified their prompt engineering yet. They, they don't account for any of that. And, and so y- the second question people will ask is why do I want this built into my blog manager? You know, I can, I can just go to chat GPT and copy and paste it in. Well, well, the answer is because we can account for some of this stuff and we can build it into the prompt that you're not having to write. You know, we can, we can Mm -hmm. hopefully build some of that magic into, to account for those problems and filter some of those things out, out of the gate without you having to go through months of learning how to prompt engineer to make that happen. Yeah. And I, I think that brings up another, you know, key point here is when we think about you know, what we want, what we want these tools to do, they, you know, we really want to, we want to add that value and, and we want this thing to work in intentional ways. But what we've talked about almost this entire podcast is what we're building, but a huge value of Evergreen that I think is worth really highlighting here is integration with third-party software. So I think back about one, one solution we created uh, years ago was integrating uh, this email newsletter module, right? And and this wasn't something where we wanted to send emails from our platform, although I think we dabbled in that on a couple of executions. But then very quickly we realized, oh, with these can spam laws, as those came online, we don't want to be in the business of sending them from our system and then potentially getting blacklisted and, and, and charged with spam. But what we can do is we can, instead of having the client build, you know, create content on their website and their blogs and, and their about pages and their, you know, team pages, and then go to, let's say MailChimp, we'll pick on MailChimp, and then use their administrative environment to build out the email newsletter with all very different administrative capabilities. Instead of what we were able to do is say, okay, we're going to actually create a module that very consistently allows you to build a web page that looks and feels like an email newsletter. And each each one is going to have a, a similar flow. So as you receive these weekly, monthly, you start to know what to expect and how to sift through and get the information you want. We basically gave them this very, what we would consider at least a consistent and predictable administrative environment in Evergreen. And then there was just this prompt to to copy all the HTML code that that built that page, go over, bypass the actual editor within MailChimp, and just drop into their their HTML code editor, our code, hit save. And then essentially when they would hit send, MailChimp would rebuild that web page in a person's email client uh, to look exactly like it did on the website, it would be pulling assets and and formatting from from our HTML code. And then when you clicked on those links, it kicked you back to the website. And that was our goal ultimately was to get them back to the website. So that was one that I was really proud of from a intelligent way of saying, we're going to eliminate or minimize the number of, of administrative environments that you have to be really adept at using. And we're going to allow you in cases where, hey, we're not going to recreate what, what 
QuickBooks can do. We're not going to recreate what Square can do. We're not going to recreate, you know, a lot of these other fun functions that, you know, Salesforce is offering, but we can integrate all of that and perhaps reduce the number of environments that your team has to jump into. And I think that's one, one of the drums that I've been beating over the years that some people get and appreciate most don't. I would say, in my opinion, is that we want to make this a, a pleasurable experience for the administrators of the website. They're in there all day, every day, in some cases, and it needs to work and function smoothly. And so if we can you know, do this really smart integration where it doesn't make sense to build. And what we found over the years too, I think Stefan might have some comments on this is oftentimes it's like, hey, the easy button is let's integrate third-party software. All right, we did that. Great. It's done. Now, oh, we've used it. Now I want to do this. And sometimes what we find is, well, we can tweak the integration or at some point we can simply get rid of that third-party software and really create that purpose-built solution for them. But it's really nice to say, hey, we want to meet you where you're at. We're not going to force you to use our code if it doesn't make sense. But if we can prove to you that we're the right bet to create this user experience you're looking for administratively or to serve your users, we're here for it. And so I think that's been another huge value is, yeah, we can build the product, you bet. But if it doesn't make sense to, for whatever reason, then integration is, is another huge strength that uh, it's worth noting. Yeah, for sure. It, it's an interesting balance because I think on a very technical level, when we're coding stuff out, we have an unusual phobia of dependencies. I think um, to get really deep into the geek pool with with a lot of solutions out nowadays, everything is about dependencies. And, and there's, there's just megabytes to gigabytes worth of dependencies for anything you want to do on a coding level. And, and we've done... I want to say a good job so far of staying away from that and and we kind of where it makes sense and it makes sense in a lot of cases we we, we try to do it ourselves, um and we've got 20 years of examples to pull from so it's not it's it's usually not something where where it's just a brand new thing that we've never done before but that's on a technical level on on a higher level where there's just uh more functionality for something like chat gpt or MailChimp, or, or a lot of these uh, solutions out there, Postmark, there's just a higher level of functionality that it obviously makes more sense just to take advantage of that. But it is, it is interesting then that sometimes it kind of comes full circle and where we were getting that third party functionality and essentially using it by consuming it, sometimes it does make sense to, to start to roll that back into something where we're, we're replicating that and, and fine tuning it and, and coming up with their own version, uh, depending on the client needs. That's awesome. That was, uh, I appreciate that insight about kind of the fact, uh, that we don't jump at every opportunity that we, that we hold back, use the word wise, uh, Stefan, I, I honestly, again, new employee here of three years, uh, I would say mature, you know, like I, I've worked at some other companies that did just jump at every little new bell and whistle. And, and I think it screwed them like overall. And then going all the way back to the beginning of the episode, we talked about longevity of, of employees. We're talking about Michael and, and Paul being here for so long. I think a lot of that maturity, a lot of what they've learned, what you guys have learned are what keep people around, right? Because I think if we, ch you know, jumped at every little bell and whistle, I did this thing and then it failed, man, no one's going to want to stick around for that. You know, no one wants to help support that. They're going to move on to the next thing. Uh, so again, new guy here, kudos uh, for you guys 
keeping Cascade <laughs> mature, if you will, um, but definitely kind of having that trajectory on on how we look at products, how we unveil products, how we build products uh, for our users. So I think that's a good place to stop for this episode. Listeners, I really appreciate, I'll just say it, Ben and Stefan uh, coming in and talking about this topic uh, as we continue to evolve, as we continue to build products and and uh, Stefan, thank you for uh, allowing me to ask you questions on uh, the air, even if it's recorded about uh, where we're at with stuff. And then uh, hopefully our, our listeners will, uh, will be able to hear uh, the success. We'll check back with these specific products, but, but probably in the future, be able to maybe unveil them as well. So listeners, thank you for joining uh, this episode, episode 10. Uh, thank you, Ben and Stefan, uh, for participating. Thanks for having me on, man. Excellent. Thanks, gentlemen. Talk to y'all soon. Bye. Bye.